You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening everyone and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine is away on her travels, the lucky thing. So I'm going to do a throwback Thursday move on a Tuesday if you don't mind and replay the review she did last year of Daroka in Ballybunion, County Kerry. Chef Pat Lawler will be appealing for your support in helping him to set up his cookery school in County Wicklow. Fulcha Ireland food champion Judith Boyle will join us on the phone to tell us about what this new role means to her. And then finally, at the end of the show, we're going back to Wicklow to talk to Rory Carrick, who blogs under Eat, Drink, Run, Fun. And he's going to be talking about his latest blog post, which reveals details of a foraging masterclass he enjoyed recently in County Wicklow. He's not in County Wicklow, but the foraging masterclass was. If you would like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. It's always great to hear from you. And as you're doing that, let's have another listen to that review that Rachel Keeley did about Daruka in Ballybunyam. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, you're very welcome this evening. And tonight you're going to talk about a place that I would imagine is going to be very popular with the West Limerick listeners in particular, and that is Daroka in Ballybunion in County Kerry. Yes, and a place I'd imagine is going to get more popular as the summer months roll in, um, because it literally is overlooking the water in Ballybunion uh, Village, I suppose you'd call it, town? I think it's a town. Town, probably, yeah. In the winter it looks like a village, no doubt, and it's a town in the summertime. Um, But it's not open very long I think um, but you actually recommended that I pop down and have a look at it so I was obviously trusting your judgment so um, we went down one evening Not that I had, actu- had actually been in it at that stage but <laughs> I'd heard, heard great things, things about yeah, it yes yeah. I had heard great things about it And all true it transpired the food was excellent Do you know? But the weather, not so much, because you were there on a fairly exciting winter's night. Yes, um, like the end of the world down there. It was just rain lashing through and wind whipping up the sea and yeah, not the most pleasant kind of seaside experience. But at the same time, you can definitely imagine what it would be like then in the, win- in the summer months. Was it a weekend or midweek night? Midweek. We popped down after work um, and I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Like and was it busy? It wasn't when we popped down, but to be fair, we arrived at about 6.30. So it was well ahead of everybody else. Um, but the, the people were, the owners were kind enough to accommodate us that early anyway, even though they hadn't just opened. Um, but as we were leaving, they really picked up. A lot of people came in at that point then and they kind of bunched together tables and it seemed to be a really nice local hangout with a lot of local people there. Well that's great for a Tuesday night in the winter. Exactly I thought I was very impressed because initially at six o'clock I was thinking well it's going to stay this quiet most restaurants would but um, obviously it's it's got a name already. So it's going to be busy for the summer I would imagine. I definitely would imagine. It's not enormous either so I'd say reservations might be in order as it gets busier. The decor now isn't the most striking I hear, I've heard this now. It's not the sort of place that you would want to be judging the book by its cover. No, well, the first issue is that it doesn't seem to have 
um, a sign. <laughs> so we drove a little bit around and around trying to find the restaurant um, and eventually decided that must be it because it doesn't have any sign above it. Now, they may have just been in changeover period or, or even the wind could have taken it down. Um, but then when you get inside as well, I think it used to be a country kitchen cafe. So a lot of pine and um, a lot of sort of traditional chairs and that kind of Irish heritage style, which uh, which is lovely, obviously, for a country cafe. doesn't necessarily lend itself to the calibre of food as it transpired when we actually got down to got down to business. So the owners haven't put their own mark on it in terms of paint, furnishings, furniture? I don't think so. Um, I've never been to it before, to whatever premises it was beforehand, but I don't think an awful lot has been done. Um, but there was, which was very nice and very welcome on that winter evening, a lovely turf fire. So that was very atmospheric and nice to sit beside. Tell us then about the menu. What sort of food was on the menu? The food uh, menu is what I like. It's it's simple and uncomplicated and not enormous either. Um, so a lot of kind of Irish traditional dishes, but done very well and with interesting ingredients. So um, it was clear whoever put, put the menu together cares about food and, and knows quite a lot about food. Um, it was one of those occasions where we wanted a lot of it, um, a little bit of everything. So we kind of ordered accordingly. Um, but I started off with uh, Dublin Bay prawns. They were presented absolutely beautifully, sitting on top a really creamy Acarello risotto. Lovely, lovely, uh, warming, comforting dish to have on such a blustery night like that. It was fantastic and actually only eight euro, despite being a very, very generous portion. I would have happily had that for my main course. It was a lovely way to start. Shells on or shells off? Shells off, uh, but very, very big and fat and meaty prawns to be fair so um, I imagine if the shells were on they might have been a little bit of a challenge for myself but uh, no they were absolutely fabulous really really one of the nicest starters I've had in a long time and that was a great price. Eight euro, it really was, yeah. Um, I think the menu had slightly different prices to what the receipt had on them at the end, but uh, we weren't complaining. <laughs> the receipt was lower. And what did your dining partner have to start um, yes, my, my husband had, like that, we were kind of thinking about seafood being so close, obviously, to the water. So he had seared scallops, um, which were delicious and fresh, as you'd imagine them to be. They were served alongside a really salty ham hock croquette, which was very interesting in terms of the juxtaposition of textures. You know, it was a really nice, I, th- I thought, addition to the scallops, because scallops in themselves can sometimes be a little bit bland in terms of taste. It was really nice to get that extra level of crunch and that extra level of flavours. And a bit of a change from the black pudding accompaniment that you'd often see with the scallops. Exactly, yes, yeah. And I think I've, I've seen quite a little bit, of, quite a bit of chorizo as well with them recently. So that was something a little bit different. And the idea of, of, of I suppose, wrapping it in a croquette as well or a croquette was, um, was fairly novel too. And that was €12. Euros. So again, quite good value for, for a generous plate of scallops. Moving on to main courses. Uh, this is, I think, where we started to order a little bit of everything. Um, so I know that I went for the lamb rump, which was cooked beautifully. It was lovely and pink and uh, and really sort of well flavoured. And that was served with cauliflower and olives, um, which kind of gave it a slight hint of a Mediterranean to it, actually, in eating it. Um, and I had that then alongside a glass of chilled Pinot Grigio, a San Simone, which again was six fifty. So not not too bad value. What what the chef seems to do, which is very nice and and quite. Uh, traditional I suppose as he drizzles a little bit of the pan juices around all the dishes um, it might not be the most novel technique that you'd ever see in sort of some of the high concept restaurants but it's lovely and it adds a lovely lovely flavour to the dish so I was glad to see it 
And what did Anthony have? He had the pork neck because he doesn't have to care about calories. Um, he, it was slow cooked and served with wilted kale and parsnips. Uh, and then to top, uh, top it all off, there was a spoonful of Café de Paris butter oozing down on top. It was fabulous. Really, really nice. You got Mantid. to taste a little bit. <laughs> I did. I got to taste a little bit of it and think about working it off later. Um, it was really, really good. The meat was just, just absolutely fell apart. Um, and he had that alongside a glass of Malbec. And do you have to order sides or do the dishes come complete with everything that you need to go with them? We, um, they, they come with a certain amount, all right. I'm trying to recall now. They come with a certain amount, but again, because it all looks so appetising, we ended up ordering what turned out to be incredibly generous sides. We thought we were ordering a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It turned out to be a table full of sides, really. Um, so much to our eternal shame, we had to leave quite a bit of it behind. But we ordered um, golden brown sautéed potatoes, which, of course, were fabulous, and then buttered greens and mashed carrots. And that came arranged on a lovely tray for seven euros. So again, quite generous you know and and good value and good value yeah especially for the caliber of food because it, it was it was cooked with care you could tell you could tell whoever put it together has a training and be a passion for food and i think they grow a lot of their own vegetables i think i saw that on the website all right yes i didn't get enough of a chance to talk to the guys there but i get the impression they do and it certainly tasted like that it tasted quite fresh yeah i think the Vapali tunnel nearby and they grow a lot of produce there including art artichokes Artichokes, fabulous. So hard to get hold of here in Ireland. Yeah. Fresh ones. And how a chef finds the time to both grow and cook, um, they have my admiration, that's for sure. Um, And then we moved on to dessert. Uh, so of course Anthony's favourite favourite part of it he had a baked apple crumble um, which was served in one of those neat little dishes um, really tasty apple crumble the only thing is though, that it was served with a rum raisin ice cream that was a little bit too heady so sometimes that can mask the more delicate flavours of the apple um, and then I had a really really enjoyable salted caramel mousse um, which I've seen quite a bit of recently it seems to be a bit of a dish du jour or I suppose the dish of the year at the moment it does sound lovely though I love it's the fab. sound of the salted caramel Caramel. Yes, it's it's do you know what it's it's very light dish, but at the same time full of flavour. Um, because I don't like to finish off my dessert or my dinner by having something even more heavy. Um, so this was a perfect way to finish off. It was served then with gooey caramel ice cream, which was a nice little childish treat. That sounds really nice. And I'd say you maybe had a couple of coffees then to keep you fortified for the drive home. Yeah, well, um, even more boring. We had a couple of peppermint teas. <laughs> We're that old now, Sharon. <laughs> no, we uh, we kind of fortified ourselves, as you say, and then buckled up and uh, wrapped around our, our hats and our coats and all the rest of it and, and set off. But as we were leaving, as I say, the place just filled up, which was really nice to see. So the bill in total then, you feel it was great value for money and you would definitely recommend it? I would, definitely. As I said, the the, the, the value, certainly. It was, we spent €84 Euro on three courses each, plus wine, plus teas, and then that enormous array of sides as well, which I think is an extremely good value. And that was the dinner menu. There is also a lunch one, which would probably be um, even better value. And also um, the food. The food is just really well cooked. It, they have a... a sort of a mantra in there and you see it come up quite a bit on their menus and on their website which is real food real simple and I do think that encapsulates what you get there Well I wish them all the best in their adventure I hope it is a resounding success for them because it's great for me personally to be in Ballybunion and to have somewhere of that calibre to go to eat so thanks very much for going and reviewing it and no, coming thank in you, Thank you so much for your recommendation and telling us about it tonight and I'll have to get it get to it sooner rather than later I think you will because come summer yeah I don't think it'll be a lot harder to get a, to get a reservation no. so people should 
book in advance, I would imagine. I think so, just given how busy uh, Ballybunion gets and, and given the calibre of the food involved. And you'll be putting details of your review onto your website, rmkeely.com, no doubt, in the coming weeks. I will months. indeed, yes. And actually, I think it's still available on the current issue of Food & Wine magazine. Fantastic. Thanks, Rachel, for coming in this evening. Thanks for having me, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great to have another chance to hear Rachel's review of Daroka in Ballybunion. I'm delighted to say that since that review was recorded last year, I've had the pleasure of dining in Daroka and can personally highly recommend it. My most recent visit was uh, for a lovely Sunday brunch with the children who were made most welcome and I look forward to returning in the not too distant future. If you would like to read Rachel's review in detail and maybe even some of her other reviews, they can be found on her website rmk keely.com and we look forward to welcoming Rachel back from her holidays in a few weeks time. Still to come tonight, Fulcher Ireland food champion Judith Boyle is going to be on the phone to tell us about what this new role means to her and finally at the end of the show Rory Carrick who blogs under Eat Drink Run Fun will be talking about his latest blog post which reveals details of a foraging masterclass he recently enjoyed in County Wicklow. Next, though, it's over to the phone in County Wicklow, where Chef Pat Lawler is going to tell us how we can help him to realise his dream of opening up his own cookery school. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Pat, thanks a million for coming on to the programme tonight. No problem, Sharon. You want to appeal to the public because you want to build a cookery school in Wicklow, but you have a very special reason for wanting to do this. Yes, I do, yes. I suppose uh, last uh, October uh, we received a prognosis on my wife who uh, passed in December and uh, unfortunately through cancer. And uh, she she left myself and two girls, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, and we're, we're sort of in the process of building our life back together again. I suppose within that process I'm trying to... Uh, you know, I've been a chef for 33 years and most of my work over the last few years has been up and down to Dublin and a lot of work up around there and I've, uh, that's where the main work is and I, I've, I've, I really can't do that anymore. I'm in a position now where, you know, my girls need me here. I need to be at home and uh, that's 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 the position I'm in. You're based in County Wicklow. so. County Wicklow, yeah, Ockham County Wicklow, yeah. So the commute back and forth to Dublin is, it's obviously very time consuming and as a chef it's not, it can be very unsociable hours. It can and it has been, I suppose, you know, it is an hour up and an hour back, so straight away you're looking at two hours just travelling and then to make it anyway work at all I'd have to be at least eight hours up there, so you're looking at ten hours out of the day which is, uh, you know, next to impossible trying to organise everything back here as well, you know. So in order to achieve the work-life balance, you have a crowdfunding project that you want people to get behind you. Just explain what crowdfunding is first. Uh, uh, crowdfunding, I suppose it's a way of asking for money. You know, it's, uh, it's asking people to uh, contribute something for rewards. Uh, you know, there's different, different rewards for different levels of, of funding that they're willing to, to give. And uh, it, it's uh, it's something that I've I've always sort of been aware of, and somebody said it to me there about just over a month ago. I said, "Why don't you try crowdfunding? Because to raise twelve thousand euro, which is what I'm trying to raise, is uh, it's, it's quite difficult. I don't have that 
cash to spend, you know, and I've had fitters into the kitchen, I've had it priced up, etc. And uh, it comes to about 12. So I'm, uh, crowdfunding is, is a way of reaching out to people through Fundus, which is the website, crowdfunding website, and uh, trying to get uh, people interested and to contribute something, you know, towards helping me build the cookery school. So it's €12,000 is what you need to generate and that will enable you then to open Pat's Kitchen which will be a cookery school that caters for all age groups really. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely all age groups, yeah, because I found, like I've, I've done a bit of research, it just hasn't sort of come to me. It's uh, While I was looking at my options of, of getting some income coming, I decided like the best thing I can do is try and stick local. And again, while there is some part-time work around Wicklow, uh, again, it's going back into those long hours and stuff, you know, that uh, I really can't seem to get away from. And uh, I, I just thought that, you know, I have quite a big kitchen at home. And uh, I think if I can, you know, just transfer that into a cookery school, build it into a cookery school, it's quite possible. I do have enough space there to face up to, uh, I'd say, about 10 people in a class. And then with kids, I can fit just a little bit more than that, you know, maybe up to 12 kids because uh, it's quite a big kitchen. So I was just trying to get the, the funding to, uh, to enable that, you know. And it won't just necessarily be cookery classes. You can do parties as well. I see something yeah. here about a knickerbocker glory party. Yeah. Well, they've been quite popular. Through my sort of research into this, uh, I've uh, built up a, a big following on Facebook. And, and I did some classes in Arklow, which is only about 15 minutes away. And uh, through that, I've sort of developed a, a Knickerbocker glory and pizza party. So you know the way the kids might have a birthday party and that. So I'm offering it as a service where I go and I have these fantastic pizza ovens that I bring and they're just simple plug-in ovens. They get up to 400 degrees. And uh, basically, I, I just do pizza and make Knickerbocker glory for, for the birthday kids. You know, so they, they've, I've done about five of those. And uh, I've just did... did uh, in the local school as well, they're, they're all the schools are finishing up this week, and I've just finished uh, a little party in there, pizza and uh, fruit skewer party. You know, which is basically making pizzas for them, all fresh, fresh using fresh ingredients, and uh, you know, not out of the box. And uh, it's it's interesting to see how the kids react because they can see them being made. You know, they can. They're sort of some of them are fascinated. Like, Geez, you mean pizza doesn't come in through the front door? We can actually make this, you know. So there's a there's a bit of an interest there as well. You know, they can put their own toppings on stuff, you know. You so have it's, inter- it's interactive, you know. You have over thirty years' experience as a professional yeah. chef. So tell us about some of the fantastic places you've worked over the years. Uh, I suppose uh, I started off in a good foot, and I won't go through everywhere because there's a lot of places there. But the highlights, I suppose, was uh, way back in the Bailey Restaurant in Dublin, and that was Paul McCluskey, a chef who was absolutely fantastic, and he was a, sort of a fine dining chef. He was a damn good chef, you know, and he gave me good discipline. And from there, I just tried knocking on Patrick Gilbo's door, who would only take uh, French chefs at the time, and the only way I got in there, I think it was the first Irish chef to actually work in Patrick Gilbo's. The only way he would take me on is because I told him I would work for free. And uh, I did that for about two weeks, and then I started getting my forty pound a week. But that's where it all started, you know. And I was there for four years. Then I thought you were going to say that you had to put on a French accent and pretend no, to be no. French to get in. I had to work for free. <laughs> and uh, believe me, I didn't work for four years for free. But uh, it was uh, it was a fantastic experience, you know, just to be in there. And I learned French, and from there, obviously, I went to France and worked in uh, 
two Michelin star restaurant in Paris and you know I, I just chased the stars you know all over Europe I came back to London and worked in Chien Nico and that's where I worked with Paul Flynn and uh, that was a fantastic experience as well and and came back to Ireland and, and uh, you know worked with Ross in chapter one the chef up there for, for a year and uh, you know so I, I was just chasing that sort of level of cooking all the time and that discipline so it was a fantastic experience you know it was just passion you know, and, and that's what I bring to the table all the time and it sounds like from a very young age that your aspirations were very high that you set your standards very high that you know rocking up at Patrick Gibo's there to, to get in the door and persevere yeah. and, and offering to work for free you you obviously have that level of of quality in terms of your cooking style yeah well that's what I wanted you know and that's you know I think if it's a chase your dreams or chase something particularly in this industry now and I know there's a big shortage of chefs out there and just that sort of des- discipline and passion is lacking as well at the chase you have to give something to get something back you know and that's that's what I did without knowing it but it was just I can look back now and say that's what I did you know I, I gave a lot to the places that I worked in and uh, but I got a lot back you know through experience and, and actually being there and working around that type of food and those type of chefs you know which were fantastic so I was you were getting the experience and you were getting a level of discipline that's needed at that level of, of cooking you know so it was it was good and it helped me through throughout my career you know and I did not stay with the Mission Stars all the time I, I went I worked in the IB catering for four years as well which was a, a different level altogether but I found that the ad- adaptation of the skills that I'd learned into the you know I always thought it'd be sort of contract catering throwing mashed potato on the plate but my, uh, my adaptation of of make that type of cuisine work as well was fantastic you know just trying to a little twist here and there on it you know so I love all types of cooking now you know so so. and that's great that uh, that you can bring those different styles and different experiences to a cookery school now yeah and uh, I suppose for the last two years I've been working on often helping Catherine Fulvio as well uh, in her cookery cookery school you know so that sort of nailed it for me even though in Cork I was doing it as well uh, my own cookery classes through the social club down there in AIB. Uh, but when I went to work with Catherine Fulvio for a bit, then that was uh, that, that really nailed it for me. That you know, this is what I love. This is what I do well. And I could tell from the feedback from the class. You know, it was, uh, I was good at it. You know, I could I could gauge a class and get them working together, and you know, just put a fun uh, put the fun back into it as well, rather than the, you know the, the horrific side that the kitchen has. You know the fighting chef and all that you know so because food food is fun you know it's about enjoying yourself and enjoying food and enjoying cooking you know well the target is 12,000 and because it's crowdfunding you've mentioned rewards there at the start of the interview yeah. and there's different rewards depending on how much people are prepared to invest or donate so yeah. you I mean you have some very impressive rewards here now they may not be cheap but they're great value for money I think so tell us what you get if you invest 10,000 euros well, if you get 10,000, if, if somebody has 10,000 euros there, they're going to get a meal for uh, up to 20 people. Uh, fully fully serviced by uh, the best restaurant manager in uh, in Ireland, apparently from the from the Restaurant Association Awards, uh, Declan Maxwell, and cooked by Paul Flynn and uh, the Tannery, Tannery Restaurant in Dungarvan and uh, Ross Lewis Chapter 1 Restaurant. And myself. I might even chip in myself and do it there. But, uh, 
between the four of us and other staff that we need we need to pull along it would be fantastic and that is a private dining experience in your own it home. would be in those in whoever's house it, it should be yeah it would be a private dining experience you know and we had Declan Maxwell on the show here just a week or two ago, so the listeners will be familiar with him, that he is the best, he has been the best restaurant manager in Dublin yeah. for the past three years in a row, so the service is going to be second to none there. Second to none yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Listen, it's, the, it's the top of Ireland, you know. You're talking about Ross and Paul, you know, who are the top, two of the top chefs in Ireland, and it's been proved over and over again. And great ambassadors for Irish food as well, so it's... Uh, it would be a fantastic experience, you know, and even 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 to do, even the thoughts of it would be fantastic, you know. It's just uh, the food would be second to none, you know. For a listener that maybe doesn't have the ten thousand euros for a very modest fifty euros, you get great value. Yeah, you get a seventy euro voucher for to use against any class, plus uh, even a one and one class, which is proven very popular as well because I love. I, I do a few of those. You know, there's people sort of come to me in one-on-one classes, and uh, that's what I normally charge. It, it, it could be about four or five hours, and uh, I discuss with them first what they'd like to learn and put suggestions for myself, and we ju- we just muck in and, and get in there and do it. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic experience for anyone just to work alongside of an experienced chef. You know, that's great value for money. I think. Yeah. To have that one-on-one cookery yeah, lesson, a, basically. Oh, it does. It really works well, you know, because they can ask questions, they, they see it being done, you know, like the most popular thing on TV are TV programs, you know, and people watch it and they believe that they can do it, you know, that's why Jamie Oliver and all those guys are so popular, because people watch it and they believe they can do it, and and when they're there and I'm telling them what they have in their store cupboard and what to buy and what they have there, so to make up these meals and make them so fast or whatever, because everybody's under different pressures. Uh, it makes a big difference, you know, because now they can ask the questions and they're doing it as well, you know. So okay. It is a very personal experience, yeah. Well, 12,000 euros is the target. You have 17 days left now, so the listeners shouldn't yeah. delay. Get online now and um, and help fund this project. What's the web address? Where do they need to go to get all the details, Pat? Uh, well, it's fundus.ie and... Uh, I, I usually find the, the easiest way to find it is to click. There's the different categories of, of funded campaigns going. And if you click food, I'm there, you know, within the funded.ie website. Well, best of luck with it. As I said to the listeners now, 17 days to go, so so don't yeah. delay. Pat, thanks so much for, for sharing your story tonight. We're so sorry for your loss. Deepest sympathies to you I and your girls. And the very best of luck with it. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Rachel Keeley has reviewed Daruka in Ballybunion. And just before the break, I was talking to Chef Pat Lawler about his dream to open up his own cookery school. And that is a crowdfunding project. So if he doesn't make the target, which fingers crossed he will, you don't actually have to pay any of your money. So please bear that in mind and let's all get behind him because it you know, just would be really fabulous for him and his two girls. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on itunes or use the podcast app 
Still to come tonight, Rory Carrick, who blogs under Eat, Drink, Run, Fun, will be talking about his latest blog post, which reveals details of a foraging masterclass he recently enjoyed in County Wicklow. But before that, we're staying with the phone, and this time it's to talk to the lovely Judith Boyle in Kildare. Last week, Fulcher Ireland's Sinead Hennessy told us about the new Food Champion initiative, and Judith is one of the new people taking up the role, so let's find out what it means to her. Cheers. Chin chin. Salud. Schleiter. Judith, congratulations on your new role as a Fulcher Ireland food ambassador. How did you feel when you heard the news? Thanks, Sharon. Yeah, I was really excited. I think it's going to be a great opportunity um, just to use the background of my food background in relation to Fulcher Ireland and in relation to champion the little producers, producers and uh, produce that Ireland has to offer and especially in Ireland's ancient East. Last week we had Sinead Hennessy from Fulcher Ireland on the show and she was explaining a bit about the whole initiative. So just tell us how you got involved. You were nominated by your sister Susan, I believe. Yeah, I was nominated by Susan. Um, there was 400 people um, countrywide that was nominated and then out of the 400, 16 new food champions were picked and they were selected or, or we were selected um, based on our food heritage and our enthusiasm for the food produce that is based in Ireland. And your background is you grew up in a pub that you're very much involved in now, the off-licence side, I believe. You are a beer sommelier, one of only four female beer sommeliers in Ireland. And you and Susan together, as sisters, you developed Bridget's Eel last year and you have a show, Tales of Eel. So you've a lot going on there. Yeah, and I think it's really exciting because I think Fulcher Ireland this year decided that they would also include drinks producers um, in the food champions. So I think that that's why I was picked. Um, as you said, I'm a beer sommelier and a publican and uh, I run an off-licence and I've been a champion of small drinks producers in Ireland for a while now and it's nice. There's um, me, there's Seanine O'Sullivan who's a publican in Dublin as well that's going to be a food champion and then Claire Dalton from Dungarvan Brewery as well. So there's um, a few drinks representatives which I think is an exciting side of the produce in Ireland at the moment. Well let's talk a bit about Bridget's Eel because you and Susan you started Two Sisters Brewing and created it last year. Yes Um, so we created an ale um, based on the life of St Bridget Um, so it's a heritage ale and I suppose that the Fulcher Ireland food champions want especially in Ireland's ancient east east, to talk about the uh, stories behind um, produces projects and um, other areas of the food industry in Ireland. So, um, yeah, our beer is based on the life of St. Bridget. Um, So Bridget is the patron saint of brewing in Ireland. She was also an avid beekeeper, um, and our dad is an avid beekeeper. So we've used our honey in the beer. We've fermented out the sugars, um, but you get all the floral aspects of the honey. Um, So it is a dark ale and really nice and easy drinking. And is it true that it was a nun that gave you this challenge and said, get brewing a beer called St. Bridget's Eel? Yeah, we've a group of brilliant Bridgety nuns um, that are based in Kildare Town because obviously Bridget is also patron saint of Kildare Town. Um, and for the gathering in 2013, they started a festival um, for Bridget's and it was a week-long um, festival and they asked us to be involved 
Um, and I had just started uh, learning about craft beer and learning about beer in general. And I had just done my beer sommelier exams. And I was like, okay, what we can do is we can match what the produce in Kildare, the honey and the bread and everything that's good about Irish produce with really good beers that are on the market at, the, at that time. Um, and then it was at the end of that, uh, one of the nuns came up to me and was like, well, Judy, now that you've done this and it was such a good success and a lovely event, then why don't you just brew a beer that is, that is all about Bridget's? And she liked brewing beer as well. Um, so I think that that got our brains ticking over. Um, and then myself and my sister uh, developed the recipe of Bridget's Ale along with a local home brewer, Brendan Murphy in Kildare, um, that basically used all the aspects of Kildare. So we used minch malt in the Thai uh, for the malt, uh, we use our own honey. Uh, we we don't have a brewery yet, so we are gypsy brewing and trouble brewing and kill. But they have their own well, so it's Kildare water as well. So all the all the main ingredients are um, Kildare based. And then from that, you actually developed uh, a show for the stage, Tales of Eel. Now, Susan, some of the listeners might be familiar with Susan, who wrote and stars in A Wine Goose Chase, which talks about the different wines that have Irish connections. So tell us about Tales of Eel, because the two of you are are in it. Yeah, so it was um, commissioned by the Boiled Art Festival last year. Um, and it was an idea, it was based on the same idea as Susan's show, that basically there's lots of stories behind drinks. Um, and then behind the beer stories, there's lots of really wonderful stories about porters and why porters are called porter and and the different aspects of beer. So I was talking to Susan one day and she was like, wouldn't it be great to do a show? So we do the same thing. We talk about the history of the beer styles. Um, we then taste the beer and then match it with local produce from certain areas around Ireland. And you did it this year at Ballymaloo Lit Fest back in May. Yes, we did. We did it on the Saturday night and it was great. It was a packed out show and it was really fun. And I think that that's what beer should be. It should be a little bit of history, um, a little bit of tasting and lots of fun because that's what beers and drinks should be. Was Jancis Robinson in the audience that night? She wasn't, but she has tried our beer and she's a big fan of ours. We got very thrilled and excited. Um, she said that we were one of the best people that she met at Lisbeth this year, which was very exciting. Just explain to the listeners who she is in case they're not familiar with that name. Yeah, Janet Thompson is one of the most uh, world-renowned wine writers um, and she writes a great Oxford champion uh, companion of wine. Um, and is a, a knowledge of drinks in the world, um, not alone. She's based in England, but not alone in England, but also worldwide. So it was a big thrill. That wasn't the first time you and Judith had appeared on stage together because you often do a bit of a gig at Electric Picnic, albeit not a musical one. Yeah, so my background is in science. Um, so again, I wanted to kind of incorporate the scientific side of it with uh, a fun side of beer um, and using Susan's theatrical skills um, we decided that we would produce um, instant beer ice cream so it's kind of uh, a show in itself because um, we instantly make ice cream using beer and ice cream ingredients and then dry ice so it looks great and tastes great. Um, and we are going to be back at Electric Picnic this year, but um, doing a child-friendly version. So no beer. No beer, but, um, but maybe yeah, ice cream. No beer. 
ice cream and uh, lots of food science stuff and um, that should be fun with kids. Well, with all of that that you have going on between being a beer sommelier, a publican, a scientist, the theatre, how are you going to incorporate this all into your role of Fulch Ireland uh, food ambassador? What's what's your what's your plan there? Well, at the moment, it's still quite new because um, we were only announced two weeks ago. Uh, so it's. We are hoping to start initiatives. I'm I'm based in Kildare Town, so I'm hoping to start an initiative in Kildare Town um, about the stories related to the food and food produce and the drinks industry in Ireland. Um, but at the moment, it's initial stages, so um, we've got a road to go. The um, job is for three years, so I've got a little bit of time um, to to work out my ideas. Of course, the storytelling fits in perfectly with the whole Ireland's ancient East brand that Fulge Ireland has created. Yeah, because I think that people, you drive along the Curra in Kildare and you see sheep on, sheep on the Curra and you see cows in the field and you never think about each cow telling its own story because there's a farmer behind it and the people in Ireland's ancient East are great and they are part of the story. Like even if you take um, Irish soda bread and the fact that we cut it um, in a certain way and the folklore behind that to let the fairies out or to let the mischief out of the bread um, and soda bread was used as a, as a savoury and a sweet sweet product um, so it was used as special occasions as well as just every day so it's the stories behind traditional Irish food and then the new food that's coming on board um, and to relate that back into the medieval and the ancient side of Ireland I'm getting a feeling here of maybe a soda bread that has a, a bit of Bridget's eel flavour to it. But am I? Is that deja vu, or where is that coming from? <laughs> um, yeah, we've made we've made we put Bridget's eel in quite a lot of things. Um, not yet soda bread, um, but there are lots of bread recipes out there that use beer as an ingredient, um, and beer used to be used as a a method of getting a lot of substance into people um, in the olden days when you couldn't drink the water um, and it was used as a preservative as well so um, yeah it's not it's not a far stretch to put it in soda bread either Well listen congratulations again on the new role it's, um, I'm really delighted for you I know that you'll be a real asset to the whole initiative if people want to get in touch with you or follow you maybe to find out what you're up to is Twitter the best place to send them? Yeah, Twitter's the best place to send them. Um, Miss Judith Boyle on Twitter, um, and then you can find my email address and stuff as well on um, the Fulcher Ireland Food Champion website. Um, so we can be followed, all the food champions, all 22 of us can be followed. If you look up the Food Champion website, all our links and social media links and everything are there. Brilliant, fantastic. Read more about us. All right, lovely. Listen, thanks for talking to us this evening. Give our regards to Susan and we look forward to keeping an eye on what you're up to. Thanks, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Judith Boyle, one of Fulcher Ireland's new food champions, was telling us about her new role. And earlier in the show, we enjoyed a review of Daruka in Ballybunion, County Kerry, thanks to Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine. And Chef Pat Lawler was appealing for your support of his new venture to open a cookery school.
If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's with blogger Rory Carrick, who you'll find at www.eatdrinkrunfun.com. Rory's latest post provides an insight into his first foraging foray and I'm delighted he's on the line now to tell us all about it. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rory, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thank you for having me, Sharon. And you're going to tell us about your first foraging experience. I am indeed, yeah, so uh, definitely a, a first for me, well, a first in my adult life, shall we say, foraging. Um, obviously, I kind of went out and picked berries and stuff as a child, but this was something a little bit different. Um, so I took my, my first little steps into it about two weeks ago um, and really enjoyed it. So I kind of thought maybe your listeners might be interested in hearing a little bit more about it um, and perhaps taking the journey themselves. Foraging is very in vogue at the moment. It really is something that a lot more people are doing, that a lot of people are tweeting about, putting it up on Facebook, blogging about. So where did you hear about this particular foraging experience? So this one here, which which is taking place down in Brook Lodge and McCredden Village, I'd actually seen it last year um, and I was kind of, I suppose, on my, on my radar of something I might like to do. Um, and I kind of find the more I get to know about food, the more I'm interested in trying new things. Uh, foraging sounded like something quite interesting. I also have a good friend, um, Katrina, who um, actually also writes about food in Wholesome Ireland. And she does a lot of kind of grow your own um, type activities as well and kind of community-based growing. And I kind of thought this, you know, I suppose there's a natural link into that as well. And I'd been chatting to her about it as well. And she had, she does some foraging herself. So um, I suppose from that, I was encouraged to, to take part in it myself, give it a go, um, learn a little bit more about um, wild foods. Um, what it exactly entailed. Um, I suppose I went in with, with a fairly open mind and kind of thought to myself, what exactly is foraging? You know, do I know anything about it? Is it literally, is it a specialized thing? Can anyone kind of take their kids out, for example, on a Saturday afternoon and go out and enjoy it themselves? Or, you know, is it, is it too difficult to kind of, um, how would you say, um, recognize various plants and what to do with them? But I have to say, I was really surprised at... Um, not how easy it was, but how, I suppose, available to people it is. Um, there's, I mean, obviously, I'd had an entry level for myself, kind of going in and, and learning about things like wild garlic, for example. I mean, everyone's familiar with garlic, but they mightn't have been as familiar with wild garlic, for example. So it's, it's different to what you'd see in the shops. Um, so there's that kind of element to it as well. You have to be so careful when you are doing something like this that you don't poison yourself. Absolutely, and that is kind of one of the first things that they kind of said to us. Rather than kind of going out and trying to forage everything and anything, start slow, think of a couple of different things. Maybe it might be a berry, maybe it might be a plant, it could be maybe a a mushroom type. But get yourself a good foraging book um, and pick one or two things and go out, start slow, see can you find some of those. So you're, you're starting safely then as well. Um, because certainly there are there are things out there that you, you shouldn't be picking or you shouldn't be trying. Um, so the, the guys who are running the course, um, Evan Doyle and his team, that's very much the message that they were giving. You know, start slow, go out, have fun with it as well. 
Now the foraging part of the day came at the end of it so you started off with visiting a couple of, of kitchens first, is that right? We did. So we, we done a welcome first. So as myself and obviously the rest of the people on the group, we met with um, Evan Doyle um, and then a girl called Claude Hild. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. She's French um, and she is actually the master forager for Brook Lodge. And then we also had one of the chef, uh, chefs, James. So they you know, met with us, had a cup of tea, talked about what we would do for the day. So we were starting off um, going through the kitchens, and they have three different kitchens down in Brook Lodge. They have the one in the Strawberry Tree, which is the only certified organic um, restaurant in Ireland. So that was quite exciting to go and see that. And obviously it's very much a, a working kitchen uh, for the evening. The restaurant only actually opens in the, opens in the evening. Everything in it is organically certified, all of their suppliers, their growers in the area. And then they also have an Italian restaurant on site as well. So they took us in there. And again, it's a different type of kitchen. It's a smaller kitchen. Uh, It's a smaller restaurant. They have like a wood fire oven in there as well, which is great to see. And then on site, they also have Brook Hall, which is a... It's a custom-built wedding venue, so it's it's a completely different type of kitchen again. It's, you know, large covers, 150 people served in seven or eight minutes. So it was great to kind of see the differences between the three types of kitchen, how they're used, um, what kind of staff are in them, the uh, the practicalities of, you know, dealing with serving large numbers of people versus, you know, a smaller number of people as well. So that was quite interesting to see behind the scenes. I've never been to McCraddon Village. Is it is it like an estate or is it like a, a small village with it's, with these different these different restaurants in it? I suppose you could call it a, a mix between the two. I mean, it's it's very much a a place of itself. It's uh, it's got the large kind of um, hotel part, and then you know it has a beautiful spa section as well. The I mean, the Strawberry Tree Restaurant is is very well renowned and known. Um, it has a bar in there as well, so Acton's Bar. It also has a beautiful little place called the Orchard Cafe, where they actually have vines growing on the roof of it, which, which is incredible to see. Um, you can go out and explore the grounds, and then there's a, there's a little church on the grounds as well. There's like a kind of like a small pond, um, and then there's also then kind of a little bit further out, then you have things like stables. You have um, also there's a, a golf club there as well. So it's 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 kind of like an all-purpose place where you can literally go, drop your bags, unwind, enjoy food, enjoy sports, you know, enjoy a drink in the evening. So you're you're fairly well set up when you arrive there. And you did stay overnight. But we'll I get- did. So I, I actually went down the night before, um, and I kind of thought, you know, if I'm going down to to somewhere as, as as wonderful as that, I might as well go stay the night, experience the food there. Um, get up the next morning, kind of do the whole spa thing, and then go to class as such for the for for foraging then, which which begins at eleven in the day. So after your visits then to the different kitchens, and you went out for the hands-on foraging experience, just talk us through that. So uh, after we had done the the kitchens, what we did what did then was they took us to the wild foods pantry. So in there, they kind of showed us all of the, I suppose, all of the, the produce that they had foraged themselves and what they'd actually done with it. So, I mean, it was like a, an Aladdin's cave of syrups and wines and Irish cheeses, and there was cured meats hanging up and all sorts of different kind of, I suppose, like berries and dried fruits and everything that they were going to use in, in, you know, in any of the kitchens throughout the year and obviously built into their menus for, for the calendar year as well. So that was really exciting to see. Um, and then from there, they took us out then to the um, 
the Orchard Cafe, which is where we were actually having our master class. And, and this is the setting where I was saying it, it had the vines overhead. So it was very much, you know, literally a master class among, among uh, wine vines. So it was, it was quite a spectacular setting, I have to say. Um, and it's, it's there then that we actually had our class. And this is indoor. So this is actually indoor. Okay. Yeah. But the vines are growing. It's like a glass ceiling and the vines are growing over your head. Wow, that sounds fabulous. It is. It, it was stunning to see, I, I have to say. So, and I had actually been in there the night before and not really copped that there were actually vines and, you know, actual grapes, which I suppose you wouldn't really expect over your head in somewhere in Ireland. No, it was, <laughs> absolutely it was, it was not. Very interesting <laughs> to see. Um, so we had a large table there and we kind of gathered around the table and they had various jars of, um, like, you know, stuff that they'd actually forage, like mushrooms, and they had loads of um, like platters with wild garlic on it and sorrel and different berries. So what they did was they, they took us through um, essentially a calendar year of where kind of where they started foraging to, to the year, various different types of uh, plants or berries or, or whatever it was that they had foraged at that time. And then they would, as they were talking about it, they would pass it around. So, for example, Claude Hills would be talking about wild garlic and that would be passed around the table and everybody would be trying a bit of it. So it's, it was quite immersive as well. So you were hearing how they went out about it, how they're going to use it in various menus. And then it's right there in front of you. It's in your hands. You can touch it. You can taste it. So that was, that was quite interesting. And it was a nice way to do it as well. And did you actually go outside then and do some physical foraging yourself? We, we did, yes. Yeah. So after we'd kind of got a little bit of, I suppose, a little bit of knowledge of what to expect, um, they took us outside and we, it's, it's quite a large set of grounds as such. Um, so they took us out first to the, you know, the grounds within their own premises um, and they showed us um, like trees, for example, that they tapped for um, for sap to use in, in different syrups and that kind of thing. And then also wild, gar- uh, wild garlic, which was growing over near the pond and the little stream that runs through it as well. Um, and then they took us outside, so through a little hedge out onto the roads, I suppose the roads and the hedgeways outside the grounds. Um, and again, this is literally, I mean, it's just a road in the area and you're walking along and you're the, the guide, Clotilde, was, was, you know, pointing out like this is sorrel, for example, there's a sweet pea or... This is a you know a type of moss that you can use in in cooking. So it was it was quite quite fascinating because you would walk by it all day every day and not even think twice about it and not know what it is you're actually walking by. So it was it was extremely interesting. I have to say. Did you say tree sap is put into syrups there? Tree sap, yeah. So she she had um, a a tree there that she had like a little tap on it, um, which she had used to collect tree sap. Um, and she was, as, as far as I recall, it was a, it was going into a syrup, and then, and again, they're very conscious of the environment as well. So when they had kind of finished with that tap, then they covered over the, you know, the we call it the wound and the bark as such. Um, so it was, it was nice to see how kind of protective they are of the environment and the nature around them as well. Did you bring anything home? Um, I did. Well, all I brought home was some knowledge, I suppose. Uh, but I did also pick up a copy of, of uh, Evan Doyle's book, which is fantastic. So the first thing kind of on my mind uh, when I was on my way home was looking up the elderflower champagne mm-hmm. and, a, and a recipe for that. So I kind of thought it might be a nice entry level for me in terms of, of you know, doing a recipe, uh, something with a little bit of class as well. But um, I definitely went away, I suppose, kind of thinking to myself, foraging is, is open to everybody. You know, it's not something that you need to be an expert in. Certainly, you know, read a book about it, have an idea of what you want to go in. But it, it can be quite an enjoyable experience. 
Um, so I've, I've certainly got it in mind to, I suppose, try it out a little bit more, see what kind of recipes I can do myself. But it gives you also, I suppose, a, a greater um, appreciation for the food that actually does appear on your plate and where it might have come from. Um, so I suppose that, that was something that was great to take away in terms of knowledge. You've written a very interesting blog post about it, so I'm guessing from it that you would recommend it. I absolutely would recommend it. I have to say it was it was quite an interesting day. Um, it was a mix of people as well, kind of older, younger as well, people who just kind of maybe had a passing interest, people who would have been say a little bit more knowledgeable than me so it was kind of nice to sit and kind of chat with those people as well because we, we get to have lunch together as part of the day as well um, you know and kind of swap stories and one of the things I had said in my, my blog post as well was that you know food does unlock memories and it does kind of speak to certain times in your life so when we were talking about foraging and kind of making jams and jellies and that kind of stuff it reminded me of when we were kids and we used to go I suppose for sake of a better word, foraging for, for berries. And we'd bring them back to my granny's and she'd make jam out of them as well. So it kind of, you know, it, it kind of had a nice warm, cozy feeling to it as well in terms of, you know, bringing up memories from the past and kind of thinking, yeah, that was a nice time in life. And now 30 years later, I'm doing it again for completely different reasons. That was, that was quite enjoyable. Well, there is, as I say, a great blog post about it there on your website with some incredible photographs as well. So if, if listeners want to go online, the web address is? So the uh, web address is www.eatdrinkrunfun.com. And of course, you're on Twitter and Facebook and all of that as I well. I am indeed. So Twitter and Facebook, the exact same handles. It's eatdrinkrunfun as well. Um, and the next class is uh, there. There are some more classes coming up in Brook Lodge in the next um, couple of weeks as well. So they are they obviously are taking bookings. I would definitely recommend it um, as you know an interesting, informative, and educational day out for anyone who has has an interest in food or wild foods or wants to know a little bit more about foraging. Well, thank you so much for sharing it with us tonight and uh, for really inspiring, I'd say, myself and and other people out there to to give it a go. And we will keep in touch and let us know about your next adventure very soon, Rory. Fantastic, Sharon. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great to talk to Rory there. And sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Thank you so much for your company. And as always, to all of this evening's guests, Rachel Keeley, Pat Lawler, Judith Boyle and Rory Carrick. I'm off my holidays for a couple of weeks, so there will be a few second helping shows for you to enjoy until my return every Tuesday night at 8pm. In the meantime, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!